And so it just shows that, again, movements like this take time and persistence. And I'm just so empowered by the persistence of our members in the fight for health care. Welcome to the 310th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Let's face it, we cannot have a healthy food and farm system without healthy people. The Land Stewardship Project began organizing around health care issues in 2008. After hearing repeatedly from our members that one of the primary barriers to getting into farming or staying in it, is access to affordable and useful health insurance. Farmers and other self-employed people do not have employer-based health care coverage without off-the-farm or additional jobs. They also often have variable incomes, making it difficult to consistently qualify for government-sponsored programs. Moreover, having insurance doesn't necessarily mean care is affordable, accessible, or of high quality. People often have to delay or skip necessary medical care because they can't afford the high out-of-pocket expenses if coverage is denied or they have high deductibles or co-payments. In rural areas in particular, it's hard to find in-network services when and where they're needed. And it's become clear that lack of quality, affordable health care has negative impacts on just about everyone else involved in the food chain. From small grocery store owners and truck drivers to farm workers and people who work in the processing industry. The bottom line, we cannot have a sustainable food and farm system if it's not sustaining the people who are involved in it every step of the way. Unfortunately, LSP and our allies have found it extremely difficult to push through even the smallest changes to our massive healthcare system. Powerful interests in the health and pharmaceutical industries are making lots of money off this highly dysfunctional culture of pain. As a result, over the years, these companies and their allies in legislative bodies on both the state and federal level have successfully fought to keep this system good for corporations and bad for people. However, after years of grassroots organizing for accessible, affordable, high-quality health care for all Minnesotans, regardless of income, age, zip code, or immigration status, LSP and our allies made some progress during the 2023 session of the Minnesota Legislature. For example, lawmakers passed into law, among other things, the Minnesota Care Public Option, and the Prescription Drug Affordability Board. Expanded access to the government-subsidized Minnesota Care Program will help make health care more reliable and affordable for farmers and others without access to employer-based coverage. And the newly formed Prescription Drug Affordability Board will have the power to rein in skyrocketing medication prices by carefully setting upper payment limits on high-cost drugs. We still have a lot of work to do before we have a fully effective health care system. But these small victories are a start and provide a great launching pad for future reforms. During the 2023 legislative session, Paula Williams, a member of LSP's board of directors, took on a temporary role with the organization as a health care organizer. Paula has long been involved with LSP's health care work and is particularly excited about the gains we made in 2023 as well as the new alliances we forged with other organizations working on this issue. She worked with LSP members to write letters to their local newspapers, testify at the legislature, participate in town hall meetings, and lobby lawmakers directly. All that work paid off by the time the legislature adjourned. 
Soon after the legislative session wrapped up, I chatted with Paula about the gains we made on health care and what the next steps are. She started our conversation by answering a key question. Why is a farm organization like the Land Stewardship Project involved in health care reform in the first place? Yeah, I love this question because I feel like it is sometimes a mystery to people or it seems kind of an odd aspect of our work, um, but it actually is so integral to what we do. And the reason we work on it is because we listen to our members. That's part of the um, strength LSP as a member organization is that we listen to them and we really hear what's going on for them. And back in I think as early as 2008, we were, Paul Sobosinski was on staff at the time and he started hearing stories from farmers about how hard it was to keep farming with inadequate health insurance. There was one story Paul told about how he was talking to this farmer and the farmer said, you got to just walk with me while I work because I got to keep like, this is, I got to keep working and I can't. I can't sit down and chat and uh, my wife, my spouse is in town working and all of her income goes to our health insurance. And Paul just kept hearing stories like this over and over. And it really galvanized the organization to start to, to start um, working on healthcare back in 2008. Yeah. I think that that's a, a really key piece. And I know one thing that Paul's talked about is this idea that, we can't, it, it, we're asking farmers to do these practices that take uh, a lot of uh, intense management and uh, good strategy and, and doing some things that are out of the mainstream of agriculture. And that requires close attention to what you're doing on the farm. And if you're distracted by having to have a, a job in town to get health insurance or are distracted by major health issues, you're just not going to be able to do those regenerative practices. That's right. That's exactly right. So that's why it's so integral to what we do, because if we're advocating for more farmers on the land, then we need to make sure that they have health care, adequate health care. And um, we need to be a rural voice for that fight. A lot of um, voices for better health care were coming from the city. And we also recognized that we that there needed to be a strong rural voice and LSP has that voice. And so we were the perfect organization to be working on health care. You know, the other issue is that a lot of farmers went without health insurance, mm -hmm. which is just heartbreaking and scary. A lot of people lived lived in fear of having something horrible happen. Um, either because they didn't have health insurance or because they had an insurance that had such a high deductible that if they were, that's basically basically catastrophic insurance. So they, you know, and they're working in a, in an industry that can be dangerous and has health risks to it. So it just was a, it just seemed so right on to be working on healthcare. And then, you know, the ACA happened in 2010. And so then, you know, the, the nation was starting to look at and realize how actually just not even realize, but just listen to the, the struggles that people were having with healthcare. And so things started to shift on a nationwide level in 2010. And LSP was already in, in the work at that point. And then another big shift happened in 
um, with LSP's work on healthcare around 2015, when we were really as an organization working on the concept of narrative and really talking about what, what we um, identified as the dominant narrative. That was the story that people were telling about healthcare or about agriculture or about rural communities. And we identified what we called the transformational narrative, which is the narrative of our vision for a healthy rural community that has farms that are working on regenerative ag practices and um, having healthy soils and passing on healthy farms to the next generation. So we identified that the story that people had about healthcare was very limited. We really didn't believe there were other options than what we currently had, a system that tied health insurance to your employer, even though so many people didn't have an employer that had health insurance. They were self-employed like farmers, like a lot of rural people doing small businesses, small business owners too. So we, again, it just seemed so obvious that LSP would be integrating their work on regenerative ag practices and policies advocating for a healthy food and farm system, that we would integrate healthcare into that policy and program work. Once we decide to get involved with the work, what, what are some of the specific reforms that we've worked with, worked on over the years? So, yeah. So the ones that I like really can identify aside from what I would again call the, the big reform that we did, I think the biggest reform we did was in changing, in beginning to change the narrative around healthcare and that healthcare is a right and that healthcare, we do, People do deserve affordable, accessible, high quality health care, no matter where they live, no matter how much money they make, uh, no matter if they're an, uh, an immigrant, um, if they're documented or undocumented. So I feel like that was the biggest policy work we did in the beginning years. Um, later on, in about at about maybe 2018 or so, we worked on what was called the provider tax. So this was a um, a tax that providers of health insurance pay in to support our public program in Minnesota called Minnesota Care, and that was set to sunset in 20, I think it was 2018. And um, we worked to make sure that that didn't sunset, that, that, that we could renew that provider tax. And that was a, that was a hard fight because there was a lot of people who, legislators who felt like we could let that go. And we knew that our Minnesota care was a very, is a very strong program that we wanted to continue to fund. And so we were able to help fight to keep that alive. And so we were successful in that. Another policy that we've been advocating for for a number of years, for a, probably since about 2016, at the time it was called the Minnesota Care Buy-In. It actually passed this session as the Minnesota Care Public Option, but it's the same concept. It's taking the Minnesota Care program that provides health care for low-income Minnesotans and opening that up, opening up the income limit to anyone who doesn't have access to employer-based coverage, which includes, of course, farmers, small business owners, people who, young 
kids, kids who age off their parents' insurance at 26 or people who retire early and aren't Medicare eligible yet. So there's a big pool of people in Minnesota who haven't been able to buy into Minnesota care, who don't qualify for Minnesota care. And so this buy-in option came into, um, came into effect in about 2016. And we, we have been advocating for that ever since, along with many other organizations, a huge coalition that, and the coalition just kept getting bigger and bigger through the years, people, more and more people understanding that this is a solid program. Minnesota Care started back in 1982 with bipartisan support. And it is a, a model that if we opened it up, could be could help other people get insurance who um, make more than the current income limits. Hmm. The other uh, policy we worked on this per- this session, actually for the last couple since 2020, I guess. So we've been advocating for what's called the Prescription Drug Affordability Board, or for short, PDAB. And this is a board that is similar to a Public Utilities Commission board that is oversees prescription drug costs. It was a it's a board that was advocated for by the Attorney General's Task Force on how to lower pharmaceutical costs back in 2020. That report came out and it gave 14 different recommendations for how to lower pharmaceutical costs. And this prescription drug affordability board was one was the top priority. And when we as LSP members um, had a town hall with the attorney general, we asked him what, what can we work on together? And he strongly suggested PDAB. And so we had, we worked on that together again, with a large coalition of other organizations and legislators to pass a prescription drug affordability board this session. And, and that and the public option both passed this session. Um, well, that dovetails nicely with my, what I wanted to talk to you about next, which is it was a pretty successful session. We finally had some breakthroughs with healthcare after several frustrating years. Can, can you just talk more? You, you mentioned it a little bit, some of the pieces that we got passed, but yeah, talk a little bit more about what all we got, we and the allies we worked with were able to get through at the session. You, you talked about it for frust- some frustrating years, and that's true. Um, I've been on the, I'm currently a staff member, but I was on, has, have been on the healthcare steering committee since 2016. And for those first number of years, we kept trying and trying to get something passed around the public option, around the Minnesota Care buy-in public option. And we kept coming up against roadblocks. So again, like you said, this this session was quite exciting <laughs> on many levels for many different um, things that LSP advocates for, including health care. So as a committee, we chose two uh, bills to focus on, the Minnesota Care public option and the Prescription Drug Affordability Board, as I spoke about earlier. I just want to mention a couple things about each of those bills. During the session, in relation to Prescription Drug Affordability Board, the pharmaceutical company put up a lot of fight against that board, being um, against that bill being passed. And we lobbied with our allies. We lobbied our legislators to make sure that they were on board with this with this bill because pharmaceutical companies were spending thousands of dollars to put ads in the in the Star Tribune to put billboards up in districts in rural districts where they were hoping to swing the legislators and pass this bill with huge 
amend with a big amendment that would have cut out really the the guts of the bill and the legislators stood strong and passed a prescription drug affordability board that has the strongest language in the nation. And this board has the ability to oversee prescription drug prices that have been skyrocketing for years. And it um, allows them to set upper payment limits if necessary on drugs that are, that are just, um, that the prices are just going up for no reason. It's like a watchdog. It really provides an oversight of the pharmaceutical companies that have been raising their prices for years and that impacts our healthcare costs across the board. So even if you aren't someone who has the need for prescription drugs, your healthcare costs are going up regardless. But for those of you who have prescription drugs that you need, you've watched the prices go up for years. And, you know, the insulin fight is an interesting fight to look at in relation to the Prescription Drug Affordability Board, because the insulin fight has um, shown people how the pharmaceutical companies can raise prices for no reason and without oversight. And so people fought to rein in those prices and were successful, which is great. But the board, this Prescription Drug Affordability Board, allows us to do that with all drugs because we can't really do this process one drug at a time. It never, it will never work like that. So I'm glad we have the insulin fight to um, look toward. But the but the PDAB board, the board will be able to um, oversee many, many different drugs. So we feel really proud that we were a part of that fight. And um, especially at the end, when the pharmaceutical company came in and thought that they could influence um, certain legislators, and we lobbied those legislators, um, and we have relationships with those legislators. So we were able to say, this isn't going to be, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to be a strong bill if you allow these amendments in this bill. And, and they stood strong, and we feel proud to have been a part of that. And then in relation to the Minnesota Care Public Option, one of the really powerful parts of that fight this legislative session was um, what's called an immigrant inclusion. So there was a, the possibility that the public option would be passed without immigrant inclusion. And we stood with other organizations, including Unidos and Copal, in support of immigrant inclusion in Minnesota care. So currently, if you are an undocumented worker, you are not allowed to get Minnesota care, hmm. even the, the current Minnesota care, because you're an undocumented worker. So now with this immigrant inclusion bill, you will, as an undocumented worker, be able to access Minnesota care. And the public option um, will allow anyone of any income to, to buy into Minnesota care. And I wanted to just mention a little bit about why the public option is so important to our members in particular. Um, you know, so many of our members are, are small business owners. As farmers, that's, they're, they're small business owners. And many of our farmers have kept their income low purposefully to stay on Minnesota Care mm. because they know it's, a, it's, a, it's been a really good insurance for, the, for them and their families. And so we are, without raising this income limit and having a public option, we are forcing farmers and other small business owners to stay small 
to like not expand their businesses. So a public option allows them to continue to expand and make more income on their farms or in their businesses and still have adequate health insurance. The other thing it does is it allows people who retire early, who also can take up farming, also end up taking up farming during those years and have access to a powerful and high quality health insurance, as well as young people who age off their parents' insurance, who are working in small businesses can access Minnesota Care public options. So we're just really excited about the possibilities for our members with the Minnesota Care public option. So people sharing their stories is always key to a lot of the issues that LSP works on at the legislature. But I got a sense that people sharing their stories either by testifying or writing letters to the editor or uh, being interviewed by the media really played a key role during this session on the healthcare uh, front. Yeah, I think that that's true. We, as you know, our organization had um, letters to the editor written in numerous papers across the state and um, both on the public option and on the prescription drug affordability board. There were many, there was like lots of rallies, um, information sessions on the public option. There were, um, there was definitely testifying done. And um, yes, the stories were extremely powerful from both our members, as well as members from Minnesota Farmers Union, from Isaiah, from Unidos, and other partners of ours, the uh, Main Street Alliance, the Springboard for the Arts. Each of these organizations brought their members to testify or to write letters or to share their stories at rallies or information sessions. And it really helped build the momentum toward for this for this bill to cross the finish line this session. Well, so we're recording this a couple weeks after the conclusion of the 2023 session, where I'm sure folks are starting to look ahead a little bit. Where What are some of the next steps or what are some of the, what, what are we looking at maybe in future legislative sessions or even in between the sessions as far as trying to make some more advancements on creating an affordable and quality healthcare system? Yeah, so we, the healthcare committee, um, both current and former members of that committee gathered recently to celebrate our accomplishments. And we sat around and told stories about our time for the last almost 15 years of work with healthcare. And some of the stories were just really powerful about why people got involved and about um, what kept them there and significant memories they have of their work. And a lot of the stories were moving forward on where people want to go with this work revolved around immigrants, revolved around the food and farming system being uh, basically supported by immigrants and how we as as an organization need to make sure we're focusing on legislation that helps immigrants because they are the ones that are supporting our food and farming systems. So there were just so many stories of that, which is why we feel so proud of, I mean, really one of our biggest accomplishments, one of the ones I'm most proud of is that we were a part of the Immigrant Inclusion Act, this legislative session to make sure that immigrants, whether they're documented or not, are, have access to health care. Because I do think that we are finding that we need to expand our 
base and or we need to use our power as a mainly white rural organization to look toward the the role that immigrants are playing in our food and farming system and start having our policies and programs reflect that reality and i just felt very heartened to hear that that's where so many of our members want to go it's just really where the stories were so we will gather as a committee and decide what's next for healthcare and lsp you know lsp really works and makes decisions through our members member leaders that are on our committees and so that's what we will do at some point i think we're going to take a break for the summer and um, reconvene in the fall at some point and really figure out like what is next for healthcare. there's healthcare is a complicated issue where there are many pieces to it and um, can take a long time to implement. Um, so the Minnesota Care Public Option, for instance, um, is set to be implemented in 2027, which means that's a big gap between now and then, where there's still a lot of advocacy that needs to happen in order for that to, in order for that public option to really be of benefit to people when it rolls out in 2027. So, and there's work to do in issues related to consolidation of our healthcare systems, especially in rural Minnesota, where big hospital systems are gobbling up our small rural systems and taking away essential services. So there's a lot of work that we need to figure out what role LSP has to play in that fight. Um, and again, I'm just so proud of the fact that we're a part of a really big, very multifaceted uh, coalition of, of partners who are working together on this. So I am curious to hear what the committee will come up with um, as far as what we do moving forward. Well, I think you've really primed the pump because it's so much easier to then look to the future and take on some new some new battles in this area when you ha have had some success and you can say, hey, look, you can, it does pay to get involved and to go to the legislature and drag your way all, your way all the way up to St. Paul or write that letter to the editor. And, and I think this is going to really help maybe get people excited about jumping into this issue that is super complicated, but it affects everybody. I think you're right that this this these wins this session have been very motivating, especially, you know, you look around at um, the people who have been a part of this work for almost 15 years and and they've been a part of things when it was really challenging to have anything happen at all. So this does feel very empowering and has some good momentum behind it. And it actually reminds me of a couple stories that I like to think about in relation to healthcare work because it is such a long game. There's one story of a Quaker named John Woolman, who um, was alive in the 1700s. And he was working towards, uh, he was an abolitionist. And he spoke to his community, to his Quaker community for 20 years, 20 years about the, the disconnect between their faith and their practice of having slaves. And mm -hmm. he advocated that, that they stop that that they stopped having slaves and he spoke for 20 years and it was only, and it was two years after he died when the community, the Quaker community officially decided that they would not 
hold slaves anymore. And they were the first uh, religious community in our country to do that. And so it's just a powerful reminder of like, when you have a vision for something, it's a long, oftentimes it's a long game. And sometimes you don't even see the results of that. And then the other more recent story I have about that is Patrice Colors. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. She's the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. She and her coalition of, of folks working on the Black Lives Matter movements coined that term in uh, 2013. And for a quite a while, there was a lot of pushback. She said she t- I just heard an interview with her and she talked about how much pushback there was from even progressive organizations and how it took quite a long time to, like I said before, change the narrative around that. Lots of people were saying, but don't all lives matter? And and they kept pushing about how they needed this movement was really important and why it was important and the role it played in the liberation of Black people in our country. And then 2020 happened, George Floyd was murdered, and Black Lives Matter became a nationwide powerful movement. I mean, lots more people got involved, lots more people understood what this was about. And so it just shows that, again, movements like this take time and persistence. And I'm just so empowered by the persistence of our members in the fight for health care. Uh, those are great examples. Yeah, it, it just pays to plug away and it can be hard. It can be a lonely, <laughs> feel like a lonely journey, but it um, if people just keep coming back and and working at it, you really can get some, and it starts to build on itself. So It does, it does. And I really do feel like that loneliness factor, really this session, I think LSP really started to see how integrated we are with so many other organizations and how we're not alone in it. And so that I think that also emboldens us to continue when we can see that we're not alone. For more information on LSP's work on healthcare issues, including a link to a blog that describes in detail what was accomplished during the recent Minnesota legislative session, See the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode 310 at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.